If you'll turn with me in your Bibles to the book of John in chapter number 8. John chapter number 8. I want to get directly into the message this morning. I have enough ground to cover that I need four hours in a 40-acre field to get done. But I want to try to uh, deliver what the Word of the Lord says unto you that God has put on my heart. I want to share two verses of Scripture with you. And we will continue in these I Ams of Jesus in the book of John. Last week we talked about where Jesus said, I am the bread of life. I am the bread of life. And this week we want to talk about where Jesus says, I am the light of the world. I am the bread of life. There's seven occasions of these I am's in the book of John. And the first one, I am the bread of life. This week we want to talk about I am the light of the world. And so let's look at these verses. I want to read two verses. We'll really be using about three chapters, but I want to read two verses out of these chapters. If you'd stand with us, if you're able and willing, we'll reverence the reading of the word of the Lord. From John chapter 8, our first verse we will read, chapter 8 and verse number 12. The word of the Lord says, Then spake Jesus again unto them, saying, I am the light of the world. He that followeth me shall not walk in darkness, but shall have the light of life. Chapter number 9, probably on the next page of your Bibles, chapter number 9 and verse number 5. The word of the Lord says, as long as I am in the world, Jesus speaking, I am the light of the world. As long as I am in the world, I am the light of of the world. You can be seated this morning. Thank you for standing with us while we read the word of the Lord. Let me encourage you today to keep your Bibles open to these chapters for we will use a host of verses in these two chapters, especially chapter 8 and chapter 9 and even a little bit from chapter 7 and chapter 10 to show you the context and setting of this portion of scripture. Now, let me lay a little bit of groundwork again that we laid last week in terms of the foundation of this study. There are seven occasions in John where Jesus specifically claims a title. In each of these, he stakes claim to divinity and he relates truths to the Jewish persons who are listening. When I say he stakes claims to divinity, that is, he claims to be God. Not just to be the Son of God, but to be God the Son. It is of no accident that he uses the words, I am. These are more than just two words to start a sentence. They're more than just his favorite pronoun and preposition or verb. This is not just uh, something Jesus is saying. These are indicators of our Lord's identity that would have been uniquely understood by the Jews of his time. When Moses saw the bush of fire that wouldn't be consumed... In Exodus chapter number 3, and heard the call to return to Egypt and to bring God's people out, Moses asked the Lord for an identity of the God who was calling him. When I go, and they shall ask me, what is his name, the God that has sent you unto us? What shall I tell them? He said, tell them I am. Say that I am that I am. The I am has sent you unto me. And he goes back to, goes back to uh, Egypt and he is to Egyptian to be Hebrew and to Hebrew to be Egyptian. 
and the Egyptians will not receive him and the Hebrews will not receive him, but he reminds them it's not Moses you must receive. It is the I am that I am that has sent me unto you. Tell them I am has sent me. That is, I am the self-existent one, the Yahweh, the Jehovah God. When Jesus says, I am, he is connecting himself with this title to God and thereby claiming not only to be the Son of God, but to be God the Son manifested in human flesh. Jesus repeatedly indicated his identification and connection with the Father by declaring himself to be the I am. A few verses that are in our text chapters and one that's not. Phrases Jesus used when he said things like this in John 8 and 23. And he said unto them, You are from beneath and I am from above. Ye are of this world, I am not of this world. I say that therefore unto you that you shall die in your sins. For if you believe not that I am he, you shall die in your sins. John 8 and 28 Jesus said unto them, when you have lifted up the Son of Man, then you shall know that I am He. He says this in John 13 and 13. You call me Master and Lord and you say well for so I am. John 8 and 58 Jesus said unto them, verily verily I say unto you, before Abraham was I am. That is the I am, the Yahweh, the Jehovah God. In today's portion of Scripture, he uses these words to say, I am the light of the world. Last week we talked about again the bread of life. This week, I am the light of the world. Now, I've got really four things I want to share with you this morning and a few things about those four things and we'll be finished with this little message. But let me share with you a few things about this I am the light of the world. First of all, I want us to see the setting of the light. The setting of the light. Chapter number 8, verses 8 through 10, before Jesus uses these words in chapter number or verse number 12, I am the light of the world. Leading up to this thing in verses 8 through 11, really, uh, my friend, we see the setting of what takes place. Matter of fact, if you really want the full setting, you've got to take three or four chapters. From the end of chapter number 7 all the way through chapter 10, and in verse 39 is one continuous account of the struggle of the religious leaders who rejected Christ versus the Lord Jesus Christ Himself. We will deal with more of these chapters, especially in chapter 10 and a later message. But there are three portions of the setting that are pertinent to the message today. Chapter number 8, verses 1 through 11 deals with the forgiveness of an adulterous woman. The Bible says they found a woman caught in the very act of adultery. That always has puzzled me. I'll not talk too much about it. But I don't know how you find somebody literally, literally speaking, in the act of adultery. I mean, what are you doing prowling around somebody's house that closely? I mean, there is something about this whole story that I've always found to be fishy. Found her literally, maybe it's legitimate, I don't know. But there's a strange thing to me to find someone who is literally in the act of the very act of adultery. I mean, but that is what takes place and she does not dispute what they say. And they begin to bring her before the Lord Jesus. And that this woman was guilty. 
arrested. They said Moses' law declared that we must stone this woman and put her to death. But what do you say about it? Jesus had just been teaching in the temple in the earlier part of, or the end of chapter number 7, outside the temple at the feast, and then in chapter 8 in the temple and teaching people, scribes and Pharisees listening unto Him. And then the Bible said in verse number 3, they bring this woman unto Him. What do you have to say? Should we stone her? How should we deal with this? This woman was guilty. She did not proclaim her innocence. But she did embrace the light of the truth and the blessings of God's forgiveness. Jesus, of course, famously knelt down and scribbled in the sand. And then He began to look at each one of those men and say unto them, Let he that is without sin first cast a stone at her. And they all began to drop their stones and they walked away. And Jesus said, Woman, where are those thine accusers? And she said, I have none, Lord. And He says unto her, Neither do I condemn thee. Go thy way and sin no more. We'll come back some more to a little bit of those free that are found in those verses. But there is the forgiveness of the adulterous woman. That is the setting of what Jesus says. And as soon as He says these things unto this woman, go thy way and sin no more, He looks at the crowd around Him and He says unto them, I am the light of the world. And this light shined upon this woman, opened her eyes to forgiveness. She came to know Jesus and she embraced the light of God's truth. And now the setting of the Scripture is such, or the setting of the light is that of the forgiveness of the adulterous woman. The setting of the light is that of the Feast of the Tabernacles. The end of chapter 7 verse 37 said that it was at the last day of that great day of the feast. That's the setting. Jesus has just told them about the water. If any man thirsts, let him come unto me and drink. That is the closing of chapter 7. They've just watched all the festivities and all of the things that take place at the Feast of the Tabernacle. That's a half a dozen sermons in itself. I'll not get into that Feast of the Tabernacles. But that feast itself was one of the two most important feasts in Old Testament times to the children of Israel. Probably only second unto the Feast of the Passover. In the New Testament, we rejoice in the Feast of the Passover and in the Feast of the uh, of Pentecost because that's more relevant unto us. But for the Jews, it was the Passover and the Tabernacles. And there was a portion of the ceremony, there was a portion of their feast in the Feast of the Tabernacles that is called an illumination ceremony. During this feast, there would be this illumination of the temple, which involved the ceremonial lighting of four golden oil-fed lamps in the court of the women, the Bible says, and Jewish teaching requires. You see, in the court of the women was the place, the outer part was the place where the Gentiles could come, the court of the Gentiles. Then a little more close, it was the court of the women. That is where Jewish women could proceed, but Gentiles were not allowed. And then there was the court of the Jews themselves. That is where the Jewish men only could proceed to. And beyond that, there were courts that were reserved for priests only. So the further you went into the temple, the more exclusive it became. The more restrictive that it became. But this is the next to the outside court. That is the first court that excluded Gentiles. Both men and women could enter into that place. When they would light this light in that place, these four giant seven 
75 foot tall. A candlestick's golden oil, oil fed, oil burning candlesticks that were in that place. Giant menorahs that would let off brilliant light. And they would light it in the middle of the night when things were dark. Now we think about darkness quite differently than they do. Because in this day there are no street lamps, there are no floodlights, there are no external lights. When it's dark, it's bona fide dark. When it's dark, it's really dark. When it's dark, it's you can cut it with a knife kind of dark. And these seven or these four giant uh, 75 foot tall candles lit up in this place that was an outer court, if you will. That is, it's sort of outside, not completely. There are walls around it, but it's not encased or enclosed. Uh, and they would light these giant candles uh, and they would let off a light bright enough burning with oil in that place that you could have seen it from miles around. Thus Jesus speaks in the Sermon on the Mount when He says, Can a city on a hill be hid? Let your light shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify God, your Father which is in heaven. And He says, Can a city set upon a hill be hid? I believe the people all the way around Jerusalem for miles could see the lighting of those giant candles in that place that was the court of the women. When it says it's a court of the women, that means something to us as well. That is the light of the world that was lit in this place. The light of those menorahs were both for men and for women. For male and for female. Jesus came for both men and women. Here we see an occasion where there are some men that have come with accusations against a woman. And the man that she is caught in the act of adultery with is nowhere to be found. But they want to stone her to death. And Jesus tells them, I am the light of the world. I didn't just come for the Jewish men, but I also came for the women. I came for the men and for the women, for young and for old, for male and for female. And then in the lighting of this ceremony in this place, inside that court of the females of the court of the women, there were three doors of entryway that were to coming into that court. And this light would shine out of those courts, courtroom doors, those doors of entryway. And it would beam back into the court of the Gentiles. Those Gentiles on the outside could not enter in. They could not walk in through the gates. But they could see the light that emanated out of the gates. There were three of those doorways. That is the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And Jesus said, I'm the light of the Godhead that shines from both Jew and my friend, both Jewish male and Jewish female and to the Gentile nations. And I'm not just a light here for male and female, but I'm a light for the whole world. Jesus didn't say I'm a light to light the Gentiles or rather a light to light the Jews. He said, I am the light of the world. Oh, do you remember what was said of him that day that he was brought in the temple? In Luke chapter number 2, it's just a boy when he was brought to be dedicated unto God. That man, Simeon, held the Lord Jesus in his arms and he said, Mine eyes have seen the salvation of the Lord. A light to lighten the Gentiles and the glory of thy people Israel. And my friend Jesus says, I am the light of the world, male and female, Jew and Gentile, black and white, old and young. It does not matter who you are. 
fire. I'm here to be your light and to bring you out of darkness into the marvelous light of the Lord Jesus Christ. Well, these Gentiles could not go in, but the light could come to them. These Gentiles could not enter that temple, but the light could come to where they are. Oh, hallelujah. I'm glad Jesus, when we could not go to where He was, He came to me. Amen. And the light came out into that court of the Gentiles. And then they were said of these of this light, and that the lamps that were lit there, they would use for weeks. These, uh, these, uh, these, uh, these uh, priests would use for weeks. Have uh, their worn out clothes, and they would fire this light up. Uh, during that feast of the tabernacles with oil. The oil is the Holy Ghost. Hallelujah. Have the uh, worn out clothing. Have my friend is the body or it is uh, the tabernacle of the Lord Jesus Christ. It is that these, this body that He lived in was filled and fueled with the Holy Ghost. And that my friend, He had come to burn bright and to burn in the night of that day and shine the light of the gospel unto them. They were a reminder of the uh, deliverance that God had given to Israel by fire by night that led them out of Egypt's dark cursed land. Don't forget one of the ten plagues in Egypt was the plague of darkness. Oh, but whenever the children of Israel came out of Egypt, my friend, there was no more darkness. There was a cloud to shade them by day and there was a pillar of fire by night. That is, when He brought them out of Egypt, there was no more darkness. When He brings you out of sin, when He brings you out of the cursed estate of sin, when He brings you out of that blindness of this old world, and there is no more darkness in Him. His love lights the way for us. When Jesus says, I am the light of the world, He hearkens back to the fact that as surely as that pillar of fire has lit the way to bring the Israelites out of Egypt, so also He has lit the fire to bring the whole world of sin-cursed mankind out of their sin, their darkness, their guilt, and their misunderstanding. Oh, I blessed His name. And in celebration of this day, of this Feast of the Tabernacles, and this illumination ceremony, the holiest of Israel's men would dance and sing songs of joy and praise unto our God. It was in celebration of this that Jesus tells them to look to Him as a greater light. They have set outside and watched those fires burn. They have just watched the bright light shine. They've just danced a dance and sung a song. And my friend, they had no sooner finished those things that they begin their evil ways again. I'm trying to judge others while they themselves are full of sin. And Jesus tells them after He forgives this woman's sin, and to not look at the menorahs, not look at the light of the temple, not look at the pop and circumstance. The answer is not in the fl a flaming fire set on top of a menorah. The answer is not in the oil and the lamb. The answer is not in the wick of fire that burns in that court of the women. The answer is in me. I am the light of the world. I'm the one you must look to. I'm the one you must trust. Hear me this morning. The answer is not in religion. It's not in a preacher. It's not in a, a from the church. The answer is in the Lord Jesus Christ. Here's the light. The light is in Him. That's where the answer is. Yes. 
Look to Him and live. Look to Him and live. He shines the light. And so the setting of the light is such that it is in the forgiveness of the adulterous woman. It is in the feast of the tabernacles. It is in the fiery light that is proceeding out of that place. The priests would use their own worn out clothing as wicks in this ceremony showing that the priesthood of this world will wear out and be consumed. As a matter of fact, the first chapter of John when he talked about Him, that was that light. John said, I'm not the light, but He is the life and said when he comes he'll not baptize you with water but with fire and with the Holy Ghost amen and his fan is in his hand he's going to burn up the old way he's going to burn up the old habits he's going to burn up the old traditions and reestablish everything in his likeness there's a greater priesthood that would come and the light represented that shine from those burning garments and my friends soaked in oil and that light represented the Shekinah glory of God that would fill the temple. Here's a problem though. They would burn it in these days. They just lit the fire in chapter 7 when they had that feast of the tabernacles and celebrated the Shekinah glory of God. But the glory of God hadn't been there. It had not been there in a long time. Matter of fact, if you study the Old Testament, you'll find out that in the book of Ezekiel that the glory of God left the temple. And He left the temple never to return back to the temple in that same form. And so every year when they would light those ceremonial lights, when they would light those lamps, they would say, oh, we remember the glory of God. We remember when the presence of God used to be here. We remember when God used to do great things and they would clap and they would rejoice and they would sing and they would dance, but there was nothing in it. There was no spirit in it. There was no presence of God in it. There was no anointing in it. There was no, uh, my friend, no image of God in that place when Jesus says, I am the light of the world. That is the same as Him saying unto them, uh, my friend, I am that glory of God. I am the Shekinah glory. That Shekinah glory represented the very presence of God in the midst of their temple. Jesus saying, I am the light of the world was as much as saying unto them, and God has come back to your temple again. The Lord has showed up and business is about to pick up. And don't look to the Old Testament and remember what was. And look at me and realize I am. Don't look back and talk about what used to be. Look at me and realize it is right now. I am the light of the world. I am the Shekinah glory of God. And that glory had not been seen since it was torn down. And the temple was torn down by Nebuchadnezzar the wrath of God and the people of Israel sin. But when Jesus said, I am the light of the world, it was to tell the people the presence of God was back and the glory was in the temple again. That ought to tell us something, friend. And this woman was caught in adultery and Jesus could have condemned her, but instead He gave her light. The Israelites had been an adulterous person, had been an adulterous nation. They had committed spiritual adultery. They had forsaken taken the Lord to serve other gods and they fell in the judgment of God. But whenever he forgives this woman and sends her out saying go and sin no more it is a message to the Jewish people. You've committed spiritual 
adultery. I know you are guilty. I know that you deserve to be stoned and put out of your misery. But I want to let you know hope is not all gone. I don't condemn you. Look at me. I'm the light of the world. The glory of God is back in the temple. The power of God is back here. You have a chance to get things right. Aren't you glad this morning that when you realized you were lost, when you knew that you were not saved, when you became aware of your sin, that the light of Christ didn't just uh, reveal your sin and throw you off in the pit of hell, but instead He lets you know there is forgiveness, there is restoration, there is help, there is hope. I have an answer for your life. You can look to me and live. Hallelujah. I don't know if you're following all this or not. I know I'm not preaching it very well. If I could preach it like I've studied it, I'd sure enough preach, but I'm trying to do my best I can. And all I can work with is what I've got. And I don't mean in terms of material, but I mean in terms of who I am. I mean I have greater material than what I have capacity to deliver it. Jesus says, I am the light of the world. You realize you failed. You've come short. You've missed the mark. You've committed spiritual adultery. But God has not forsaken you. God has not forgotten you. You thought the Shekinah glory would never be back. But here I am. Look at me. That's what he's saying to them. I am the light of the world. I am that light that lighteth every man that cometh into the world. Look to me and live. Look to me and live. The setting of the light. Secondly, this morning I told you I'd give you four things, four little things, and four uh, a few things about them little things. Secondly, this morning, not only do we see the setting of the light, but we see the shining of the light. As those lights of those massive lamps would shine brilliantly, so would Christ, the light of the world, shine. The book of John began with this teaching in John chapter number 1 and verse number 4. In Him was life, and that life was the light of men. And the light shineth in darkness, and the darkness comprehended it not. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. The same came for to bear witness, bear witness of that light. That all men through him might live. He was not that light, but he was sent to bear witness of that light. That was the true light which lighteth every man that cometh into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made by him, and the world knew him not. He came unto his own, and his own received him not. But as many as received him, to them gave he power to become the sons of God, even to them which believe on his name, which were born of God, not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. And the Word was made flesh and dwelt among us. And we beheld His glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. Even the word glory, it means light. It means the brilliance of the Lord Jesus Christ. He is shining that light. He's a bright shining light in a dark world. The men who walked in darkness, the Scripture said, have seen a great light. Have the shining of that light. Now when this light shines forth, there's really four areas of that I want us to discover or, or uh, investigate this morning. Uh, first of all, the shining of that light is on the motive of these men. He looks at these men and Christ shines His light on them. And it is true they did find a woman in the process of adultery in the very act. It is true that she is guilty. It is true that Moses said, according to his law, that such a 
woman found in such a shape was worthy to be stoned. But it is also true that Jesus knows more than just what these men are letting on. He knows their motives. He knows what has happened. I get the feeling, Brother Bob, I don't know this, but Jesus knew whether I'm right about this or not. And those men knew whether I'm right about this or not. I get the feeling that these men set her up. I get the feeling that they arranged this dalliance. They arranged this this appointment, this rendezvous that she is having with whoever this other man is. They arranged it and then brought her to Jesus and accused her openly not to get at her, but to use her as a pawn to entrap Jesus. For the scripture says they did this tempting him concerning the Lord Jesus and concerning the law. But Jesus stooped down and wrote in the sand with his hand. How we don't know that what he wrote in his sand. I've often wondered, I've speculated. The more that I think about this, the more I think that he may have stooped down and wrote in the sand. I know what you guys are doing. I know what you're trying to pull off here. I know what the trick is. Maybe he wrote down there, you're not fooling anybody. I'm my friend, or especially you're not fooling me. I know what you're up to. The light of Christ shined on the motives of these men. He knew why they brought the woman to him. Historians said that they had been hundreds of years. Hundreds of years since anybody had been stoned after committing adultery in the city of Jerusalem. In fact, adultery was so wickedly widespread that it was near accepted behavior by the Jews of this time, though it should have never been. Furthermore, Roman law would not allow for capital punishment for adultery. And to my friend, they sought to trap Jesus between the law of God and the law of Rome. If he says stone her, then he's in trouble with Rome who ruled the territory because they didn't allow the Jews to levy capital punishment at all. That's why they had to bring Jesus to a, a Roman court to try him so that he could be crucified for the Jews didn't have authority to levy capital punishment. So had Jesus said stone her, he's in trouble with Rome. Had Jesus said not stone her, he's in trouble with the scribes and the Pharisees as well as the people surrounding and watching. They think they finally got him trapped. They think they got him in a tight spot. They think that they put Jesus in a box that he can't get out of. But they don't understand the light of the world. Instead of Jesus and my friend wilting under the spotlight, he turned the light back on them. And he said unto them, you that are without sin, I cast the first stone at her. Oh, my friend, hey, he set the spotlight on their motives. Why did you bring her to me? Why did you do this? Jesus knew what was going on. You're not going to pull a fast one on God. Hey, you may fool some of the people some of the time. You may fool all the people some of the time. You may fool some of the people all the time, but you will fool God none of the time. The Lord knows your ins and outs. He knows your uprising and down sitting. He knows everything about you. He knows your, He reads your mail. He knows your address. He knows your fingerprint. The hairs of your head are numbered. You're not getting by with anything. God knows. God knows when you meant to do right and everything turned out wrong. God knows when you meant to do wrong and you thought you got by and everybody else thought you did right. God knows who you are, where you are, what you're doing and why that you were doing it. Motive of the men. He signed the spotlight, the shining of the light. He signed the light on the motive. He signed the light on the men themselves. 
He said, okay, fellas, we're going to have us a stoning here. I'll tell you what I'll do. The first person that throws a rock at her, we're going to start to examine your life, see how clean you are, and maybe we'll have some more stonings in a little bit when we figure out how many ugly things you've been doing. With what judgment you meet out, it'll be meted back out to you again. That's what Jesus says in Matthew 7 and 1. He didn't say don't judge. He said with what judgment you meet out, it'll be meted back out to you again. So are you really prepared, fellas? Are you really prepared to be in the business of rock throwing? Because once you start throwing rocks, we're going to all start investigating. And when we start investigating, we may have a bunch of stonings going on around here. So go ahead, those of you that's got everything in line in your life. You get the ball rolling or the stone rolling and we'll follow on in behind you. Got any takers? And there's nobody takes it up. They're afraid of what they might find, Jesus might find in their lives. Amen. And so would you be. Don't start yelling peace fellowships at all. See how dirty they were and whatever. If you'd been standing there, if you'd been honest with God and honest with yourself, if you'd have been standing there, you also would have just dropped the stone and walked away. And my friend not wanted an investigation into your life either. Oh, that's exactly right. And so Jesus puts the spotlight on these men. Jesus says this. He knew their sin. He knew who had done what. Furthermore, He knew that some of these men who brought this woman unto Him were guilty with the same kind of problems in their own lives. As the light of the world, Jesus has the authority to shine on their sin, expose their deeds, and to be their judge. Somebody says, can nobody judge me but God. But they forget that He actually will. He will judge you and me and all of us. You see, John chapter 1 began by setting the premise for this whole whole thing. It said in the beginning was the Word and the Word was with God and the Word was God. The same was in the beginning with God. In all things were made by Him. Without Him was not anything made that was made. In Him was life and the life was the light of, the, of men. Hey, you see whenever it establishes in John 1, 1 that Jesus is the creator of all things. My friend, that means He's also the judge. If He made it that it belongs to Him He has the authority, the and the right to judge it. And when Jesus says to these men, and let him that is without sin first cast a stone in her, and that is well enough to say, I've shined the light on your deeds. I know where you are. I know what you've committed. I will expose you. I will show the world what you've done. What did he write in the sand? Maybe he writes, you're not fooling anybody. Maybe he writes, I know what you're doing. Maybe he writes, I know what you did last summer. Maybe he writes, Zachariah plus Susie Q. Hezekiah plus Sally. I don't know. All these men that's bringing this woman to Jesus, maybe he starts writing down names. And beside them, he writes down the name of their mistress. Maybe he writes down their names and beside them, he writes down the name of their sin. Theft. He's a thief. This one here, he's a liar. This one here, he's an adulterer. 
And he starts writing them down and he knows. And maybe at the top of this thing, he just puts the title of it, I know. Listen, it really doesn't matter what Jesus writes in the sand. Whatever it was he wrote in the sand accomplished that purpose. They realized by what he wrote in the sand, he was not being fooled by them one iota. And somebody was about to be exposed big time. And they stood there and looked at their rocks and said, is it enough? Is it important enough for me to get at this woman and to get at this man? For me to possibly lose my own life? Have they decided that it was not worth it? And they threw their rocks down and they walked away from it because the light shined on the men. Jesus said this about, about these men and these type of men in John chapter 3. In verse number 19, He said, And this is the condemnation, that light has come into the world, and men love darkness rather than light, because their deeds were evil. For everyone that doeth evil hateth the light, neither cometh to the light, lest his deeds should be reproved. Oh, but He said, He that doeth, doeth truth cometh to the light, and hid that his deeds may be made manifest that they are wrought in God. The reason why these men didn't like the light is because they did wrong in their lives. Somehow Jesus was exposing their sin. They knew it. They were not hid. They were not covered. And they threw down their rocks and walked away. By the way, when Jesus says that he's the creator, creator of all things in John chapter 1, in him... All things were made, not anything was made. Without Him, not anything was made that was made. You do remember what the first thing that was made was, don't you? In Genesis 1, 1, the beginning was God. Or the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And the earth was out form and void and darkness was upon the face of the deep. And God said, let there be light. And there was light. The first thing God created was light. When Jesus says, I am the light of the world, that is as well as to say, I'm the one that turned the light on. I am the creator of all things. Ain't nothing getting past me. I see it all. Nothing is hidden from my watchful eye. So He shines the light on the, on the motives. He shines the light on the men. He shines the light on the meaning. Don't let her skate by too easy here. Sometimes we just preach about this woman and we throw a bunch of rock and rocks at these men and we pretend like Jesus is just so loving that He was just okay with her adultery. He patted her on the head and said, everything's alright, sugar, just keep on going along like you've been going. But that is not the way Jesus responded here. When Jesus shined the light on these men and said, y'all fellas, you're not without sin. You're not doing so well yourself. So I don't think you want to get a stoning party started here. And they all walked away. He didn't look at this woman and say... How do you like that, honey? <laughs> I mean, there was none of that sort of business going on. Instead, he looks at her and says, Woman, where are those thine accusers? She said, I have none, Lord. He says, Neither do I condemn thee. He didn't say, You're not guilty. He said, I'm not going to condemn you. I'm not going to punish you. I'm not going to throw rocks at you. I am the one without sin. I am the one who has the power to take up stones, throw at you, and be justified this record I wrote in the sand nobody can put my name down and say Jesus did wrong he's not a thief he's not a liar he's not a murderer he's not a gossip he's not an adulterer you can't put my name on this list I could take up stones and throw at you and be justified but I want you to know lady I don't condemn you I'm not going to throw rocks at you I'm not going to slay you I'm going to forgive you and there's one condition for your forgiveness change your life Quit doing what you've been doing.
Go thy way and sin no more. Has stopped the sinning business. Has stopped the adultery business. Has stopped the lewd, fornicated life. Has stopped all of that. Don't do it anymore. You've been set free. You don't have to live that way any longer. When her accusers were gone away, and Jesus did not condemn, but He did correct. His command was go and sin no more. Light does not excuse sin, but it does liberate from your sin. When Jesus shined the light of forgiveness in her life, not only did she see she did not have to be condemned, she also could see she did not have to be an adulterer anymore. She could change the way she'd been living. We don't really know for sure who this woman was. Historical records and some church traditions say that she was a young woman who was either betrothed or married to an older man. And that some traditions even say that the man that she was married to was really not fit to be a husband and that she was having a romantic dalliance with a person her own age that she was really head over heels in love with. I don't know about any of that. Don't know whether there's an ounce of truth to any of it. But they also do say have these historical traditions that later in life how that she was located and had uh, known about is still a Christian and as a follower of Christ on into her 80s and 90s as an old woman living uh, my friend in Spain late in life that she died there don't know whether any of that's true uh, but what I do know is when the Lord Jesus shines the light of the glorious gospel in your life you will learn that not only are you not condemned for what you have done that you can find forgiveness but that there is a new life for you to lead that you don't have to be who you have been. That you can live a life for Christ. That you can forsake the old way of sin. I've left the old past that I've traveled so long. I praise God His love lights the way for me. I've left those old past and I'm walking in the light of the Lord Jesus Christ. His light shined on the maiden. And then His light shined not only on the motive of the men and on the men themselves and on the maiden, but also on the Messiah. In verses 13 through 18 of our text chapter, Jesus says unto them, the Pharisees come and they said, your record's not true. You're a liar. Oh, but it's amazing how though they said He was a liar, they threw them stones down. Whatever it was they were calling Him a liar for, whatever it was they were saying was not true, they were afraid there'd be enough truth in it to get them stoned to death. They were not willing to throw rocks how what you wrote in the sand's not so. Your record's not true. You're a liar. Oh, but they weren't willing to put it to the test. Jesus said, I'll tell you how you test this thing in these verses. He said, it's by the mouth of two witnesses. He said, two witnesses are this. I witness that my word is true and my light is true. And the Father also bears witness of me. I have two witnesses, God the Son and God the Father. And those are the best witnesses there are. And now how about your witnesses? You men, you your record's not true. You are liars. You are not so. Jesus' light shined on His own record. And the Father also testified of Him. In His teaching, Jesus testified. And in the miracles He worked, the Father testified. When Jesus gave them a message, Jesus testified of Himself. When the Lord God worked a miracle, the Father testified that Jesus was true and that Jesus was the Son of God. And my friend God, the Son. Romans 3 and 4 says it this way. Let God be true and every man a liar. Light shined on the Messiah. The setting of the light, the shining of the light. Then thirdly this morning, I told you only had four things. Don't worry. The last two are not as big. The separation of the light. 
There are really two starkly contrasting responses to the light of Christ in these chapters. There is the light of the rejectors of Christ and it hardened them. And the longer the light shined on them, the more angry and aggressive they became. From verses 19 of chapter number 8 all the way down through uh, verse number 59, they argue with Christ. They fight with Him. They say things to Him that you and I would never dream saying to people we don't like, let alone saying them to the Lord Jesus. They accuse Him of having a devil. They accuse Him of being born out of wedlock. They say bad things about His mama and His family. They talk ugly to Him. They tell Him He's a liar. I mean, they have the venom that spews forth out of them into this chapter is unreal. And they get more angry by the moment as time goes by. This argument escalates and escalates higher and higher as their anger boils and festers in them and the light of Christ shines on their hypocrisy and my friend their wickedness and their lies that they have told. And in verse number 23 Jesus says to them hey ye are from beneath. I don't know if y'all figure out what that means or not. That's as good as Jesus looking at them fellows and saying y'all boys out of hell. Every one of y'all come out of hell where you came from. How you are from beneath and I am from above. You are of this world and I am not of this world. I said therefore unto you that you shall die in your sins. You're going to go to hell is what's going to happen to you. For you, if you believe not that I am he, that I'm the Messiah, you shall die in your sins. For that crowd that says Jesus never claimed to be God, how would somebody tell me what verses 23 and 24 mean then? I'm from above, I'm from the Father. If you don't trust me, you're going to go to hell, serious the world. For that crowd that says that Jesus left the door open for many ways to get to heaven, somebody tell me what verse 24 means then. If you don't believe in me, you're going to go to hell, serious the world. There is no other route but through Jesus. To anybody listening this morning. Look at verse number 48, what Jesus says to them. Or what they say to Jesus. Then answered the Jews and said unto him, Say we not that thou art a Samaritan. That don't mean nothing to you, does it? Gotta be careful what I say here. Two boys in the schoolyard fighting. One of them looks at the other one and he don't know what else to say, and he says, Yo mama. That's about the equivalent of what they're saying here. You're a Samaritan. This is like using a racial epitaph. Calling somebody a racially charged negative name. Is that not the nicest way I can think of to say it while I'm preaching? This is 2020. I can't say things the way they said them in 1980. I mean, this is like them looking at Jesus and calling him a bad racial name. We told you that's what you are. You're a Samaritan. Run out of things. And and they know Jesus is not from Samaria. They know he's not a Samaritan. I mean, there's no basis to this at all. It's just name calling for the sake of being ugly. It's uncalled for. It's useless. It's basis. It is fourth grade. It's silly. And on top of that, they're attacking the Son of God talking like this. 
We said it. You're a Samaritan. We don't believe anything you're saying. Hey, you're hey, the Samaritans. Their religion was not legitimate. Their heritage was not legitimate. Their behavior was not legitimate. Hey, their behavior was sinful. They were people of poor hey, morality for the most part. Hey, there were people who had been involved in all sorts of false religion who had corrupted the truth of the God of God's law. They're looking at Jesus and they're saying every ugly thing possible about Him. And then they said, not only are you a Samaritan, you have a devil in you. They called God the devil. You know what Isaiah said about a wicked nation, a wicked generation? He says they'll call good evil and evil good. They'll call right wrong and wrong right. Are we not living in that day right now? I mean, are we not living in the day where everything that's right is blessed and everything that's wrong is cursed? If you try to live for God, you're the problem. If you want to serve God, you're the problem. But if you want to marry your same-sex partner and live in filthy sin and abomination, then you just love one another more than what the rest of us can possibly understand. I mean, we're living in a generation where right is called wrong and wrong is called right. And we're living in a generation that does not recognize Jesus, that does not know what true religion is, that does not understand what the Bible is, and they will not accept or hear sound doctrine. Am I preaching right this morning? And Jesus said the resolution to that is not to continue further down your road of disobedience and unbelief. Hey, York, a solution is to look at me, the light of the world. You're walking further and further and further into darkness and except you repent, except you trust in me, except you believe that I am He, you're going to die in your sins and go to hell. That message is still the same today. The rejecters of Christ, the longer they rejected the light, the more it hardened them. And then there is a separation of the light. And not only is these rejecting Christ, but while some are rejecting Him, some are receiving Him. The light on this woman, whenever she had sinned, and He did not condemn her, and she was forgiven. And then there is in chapter number 9, our text verse we read there in chapter 9 and verse 5, Jesus is still thinking, the light of the world. He says, as long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. That is when he gives sight to a blind man. He passes by a man who was born blind. And the disciples said that he sin or his parents that is born blind. But Jesus said neither. But that the works of God should be made manifest in him. And he gives this man his sight back. And this man receives Christ and loves Christ and worships Christ. He opened his eyes and he became a disciple of Christ. The same rejectors told this man that Jesus was a sinner and could not give sight to the blind. But this man answered in chapter 9 and verse 25, whether he's a sinner or not, I know not. And what I do know is, whereas I once was blind, I now can see. And he opened the blinded eyes. I know he's the light of the world. The separation of the light. You will receive it or you will refuse it. You will repent or you'll die lost. Separation of the light. And finally, I'm closing with this. The Savior is the light. John began this gospel telling us all. John telling us, I am not that light, but came to bear witness of that light. Jesus didn't come saying, I am not. He came saying, I am. 
I am the light. Jesus is the light. The light is Jesus. It's not the temple. It's not the menorah. It's not the priest. It's not the Jews. It's not the Baptist. It's not the preacher. It's not religion. It's not the church. It's the Savior that is the light of the world. John began telling us, I am that I am not the light, but Jesus says I am. You know what the Bible says about this in 1 John chapter 1, verse 5? It said, This then is the message which we have heard of him and declare unto you that God is light, and in him there is no darkness at all. If we say that we have fellowship with him and we walk in darkness, we lie and do not the truth. But if we walk in the light, as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanses us from all sin. And the Savior is the light. The Savior is a bright light. John chapter 9 and verse 5, he said, As long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. I say, beautiful star of Bethlehem, shine on. He is a light that shines. It shines so that men can see, so that men can labor, so that men can share the gospel. He makes it day that we might work. And verse 4, he said, I word the works of him that sent me while it is day. For the night cometh when no man can work. I am the light of the world. So long as Christ is shining in this world, there is an opportunity for us to labor for God and to share the gospel and to tell somebody about Jesus. He's the bright light. He's the bright light. And that therefore we don't say make your light shine. But we say let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. They don't glorify us for good works for they're not of us. It is simply a reflection of the light that comes from Jesus Christ. He's the bright light. The Savior is the light. He's the believer's light. This light is hidden to the world for they have rejected the light. Oh, for the seeker it seems that it shines like a lighthouse on the rocky shores of the sea of life. Oh, the big ships don't sail this way anymore. There's no use in that lighthouse hanging around. But my mind goes back to that stormy night when just in time I saw the light. The light of that old lighthouse that stands up there on the hill. And as a person who's born again, I thank God for that old light house and praise God for I owe my life to him Jesus is a lighthouse and from the rocks of sin he has shown a light around me the light that I might see and the withdrawal without that old lighthouse where would this ship be praise God he's the believer's lighthouse I praise his name and the light is hidden to this world for they've rejected the light but for the seeker he shines like a lighthouse. He opens our blinded eyes that we might see. Woo! Do you remember the day when He turned the light on in your life? Oh, we'd sing right, I saw the light. I saw the light. No more in darkness. No more in night. Now I'm so happy. No sorrows in sight. Praise the Lord. I saw the light. Hallelujah. The blind man shows us that. John chapter 9 and in verse number 7 the Bible says, Jesus said unto him after he spits on the ground, made clay of the spittle, anoints his eyes. He says to the man, go wash in the pool of Siloam, which is by interpretation sent. Jesus sent him to a place called sent. Amen. It was purposed for him. And he went his way therefore and washed and came seeing. He came seeing. He received the Lord Jesus. He received the light and he was given 
life. His eyes were open. And when he saw the light, he began to seek the Lord. He had never seen Jesus. He went blind. I don't believe he was blind, but he went with mud in his eye. My friend, I believe when Jesus touches him that he receives sight, the problem is clay is in the way. And he can't see right until he washes in a pool. Y'all know what this thing we're living is in. He goes, don't you? This is clay. This is dirt. Jesus made some dirt like we have, put it on his eyes. And my friend, just because he could see, didn't mean he could, mean he could see anything. He had clay in the way. The carnal man was in the way. But when his eyes were open, he began to seek Jesus. And he went down to the pool of still water where he was sinning and began to wash. And that water is the Word of God. And the Word of God washed away the clay out of his eyes. And when the water washed the clay out of his eyes, he said, i got to find Jesus. He went to church, but Jesus wasn't there. They'd already thrown Jesus out. And then they threw this man out too. And in the verse after he got thrown out for going to church, and Jesus heard that they cast him out in verse 35 of chapter 9. And when they had when he had found him, he said unto him, Dost thou believe on the Son of God? And he answered, Who is he, Lord, that I might believe on him? And Jesus said unto him, Thou hast both seen him, and it is he that talked with thee. And he said, Lord, I believe. And he worshipped him. The sight was given back unto him. Amen. The believer's light. Why do I worship? Because I know the one I'm worshiping. Hallelujah. And I'm finishing now. The believer's light, the Savior. It's also a blinding light. You realize this morning if Jesus shines the bright light of the gospel into your life and you refuse Him, you are setting yourself up to be blinded to the gospel. Chapter 9, verse 39, if you still have your Bibles open, if you've not grown weary with these chapters. Jesus said, For judgment I am coming to this world, that they which see not might see, and that they which might see might be made blind. If you'll receive it, I'll open your eyes. If you refuse it, this shining light will blind you, and you will walk right off into hell, proclaiming there is no God. Now I want to give you an illustration. We're so carnal sometimes, we listen to those better than we do preaching the Word anyway. Somebody say amen to that. <laughs> Brother Mark back there, he's not going to like what I'm fixing to tell this. You leave out of here this afternoon and head uptown, and the light is red. But you decide just to drive right on through anyway. I'm not trying to drum you up any business, brother. <laughs> we don't want him having to go pick up anybody's car. It's been an accident. Especially not those of you boys on these motorcycles. Y'all are not a match for them Mack trucks coming through there. Stop at the red light. You go right downtown, the light's red, but you just drive right on through anyway. The fella with the blue lights turns on the light behind you because you ran the red light. And he comes and knocks on your door. And he says, Brother Bob, do you realize you ran that red light back there? You say, what red light? The one back there at the square. You just drove right on through it and it was red. You didn't even slow down. I didn't intend to slow down. Do what? No, sir, officer, I didn't intend to slow down. Don't you know you're supposed to stop at a red light? Brother Bob says, but officer, I don't believe in red lights. 
And the officer says, oh, well, that's different then. If you don't believe in red lights, then you don't have to do what it says. Just drive however you decide. Doesn't work that way, does it? You know why it doesn't work that way? He is an officer of the law. He does not get to decide whether or not it's okay for you to believe in red lights or not. By the way, Brother Bob is a subject of the law and he don't get to decide whether he believes in red lights or not either. The one who makes the law gets to decide whether or not the officer of the law enforces the law and the subject of the law obeys the law. And if the subject of the law does not obey the law, it does not matter what he believes about red lights. All that matters is the judge says that you will follow the red light procedure or you will suffer the consequences. Brother Bob can take his time. The officer issues him a citation, tells him, show up at court at such and such day. He can show up before the judge. The judge pounds the gavel on the desk. And he says, what do you have to say for yourself, Robert Simmons? And he says, judge, I do not believe in red lights. Therefore, I don't have to stop at them. And the judge looks back at him and says, Bob Simmons, I don't care what you believe. I'm the one who makes the rules. Is anybody listening to what I'm preaching? Yes, sir. We are living in a generation that says, I don't believe this and I don't believe that and I don't like this and I don't like that. And it ain't going to make no difference. When you stand before the judge in the last day, Jesus is not going to ask you, did you like the rules I set up? Did you like the law? Did you like thou shalt not steal, kill, and commit adultery? You liked it whenever it was protecting you, but you didn't like it when it was restraining you. You want others to treat you right, but you don't want to outright yourself. You don't believe in red lights, at least not on your side. If you're the one passing through that light and it's green, you believe in red lights. You're passing through there with your family and your babies in the back seat. And your light's green. And you're expecting others to do their part. Stop on the red lights. You believe in red lights then, don't you? Bob Simmons drives through there because he don't believe in red lights. Going 70 miles an hour plows into your family. And all of you down there at Tanner Medical Center with your family gathered around hoping that you live through it. Somebody believes in red lights then, don't they? Stand before the judge and give an account for what you've done and the ramifications of what's happened on in your life on out through there. Believe in red lights then, don't you? There's going to come a day when this crowd that has refused the light is going to stand before the judge of the universe and the excuses of I didn't believe this and I didn't think that and I didn't see it that way are not going to stand on that day. When it comes to that day, it will be you either, re- either refused or rejected the light. And if you've rejected the light, He will refuse you. If you will not receive Him, you will die lost in your sin and go to hell. And there is no clearer contrast that can be cast than that. Light is not darkness. In Him there is light and there is no darkness at all. What the Scripture says... You don't have to believe in the light. This morning, you don't have to believe in the light. But whether you believe in it or not, you will stand before the judge and be given account for it. And this morning, you can grit your teeth and shake your fist and stomp and snort out of here and say, I don't like that preacher and I don't like that church and I don't like that message and he's just a big smart aleck and all them people are crazy and you can go on about your own way. 
But I'm telling you, well, none of that will stand up at Judgment Day. And it won't matter whether you believe in red lights or not. The light of the gospel is how you're going to be judged. Everybody understand what I'm preaching about this morning? Jesus says, I am the light of the world. You're on the road to hell this morning. Running at warp neck speed. And Jesus is throwing up the red light. And saying, stop. Don't go that way. There's death. There's trouble. Don't go that way. And you're saying he's an officer of the law and all he's doing is trying to keep me from having fun. And instead all he's doing is trying to keep you from dying lost. You can leave out of here this morning not believe in the light, but if you do, you'll go lost and go off into hell. I'm closing this morning. So thankful for the light of the precious, glorious gospel that called him out of darkness into his marvelous light. Brought me to conviction and to conversion. I'm thankful I know the Lord Jesus, the light of the world. Please come with a song. I'm finished preaching. Everybody stand with me, please. I've preached what the Lord's laid on my heart this morning. You and the pews that are sitting here before I preached this message, I was responsible for it, and now you are. Before I stood this morning to preach, I knew what God had given me, and I was responsible to preach this, but now you are responsible to respond to it. You were responsible to hear it and now you're responsible to act on it. I wonder this morning, will you receive the light or will you refuse the light? Will you embrace the light or will you push the light away? Will you claim you don't believe in red lights? It'll make no difference. Will you obey the light that has been shined into your life? The gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. Thank God that we have been called out of darkness. In his marvelous light. I've seen the light. What's your number here, brother? Think 380. There's a great day coming. Oh, this morning, folks ought to come do business with God in this altar. If you are unsaved, I'd beg you to come and embrace the light of the Lord Jesus. Sing for us.